welcome to Living Out Loud, Storytelling for Social Change, the podcast where we come together as a community to share our stories and consider alternative perspectives on a wide range of topics. By sharing our stories, each and every one of us can help create the world we want to live in. Storytelling has the power to open minds, touch hearts, and inspire empathy and solidarity. It can move us to think and then act. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the faculty, staff, and student guests of each episode, but do not necessarily represent the views of Merrimack College. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. You are listening to Living Out Loud, Storytelling for Social Change. Our show's mission has been that we share stories and we offer new perspectives, and through that in turn, um, we hope that that has the power to open minds and potentially change our world. So what better time is now as we face the current COVID-19 crisis uh, to do a little storytelling and also use a bit of technology to bring this podcast to you in a new way. Uh, Today is Friday, April 24th, 2020. We are several weeks into the fight against uh, COVID-19, as I just said, and um, our podcast team has gathered remotely, uh, socially distant and via Zoom to reflect on how this historic moment has affected each of us in our community, uh, specifically our Merrimack College community. Gather here, we have Deborah Michaels, uh, Director of Women's and Gender Studies Department, Tiffany Began Stearns, Media Coordinator and Instructor in the Communications and Media Department, uh, Megan Demanchek, uh, Graduating Senior and Political Science and Women's and Gender Studies major, and myself, Michael Senoff, Editor and Co-Producer of this podcast. I'm a sophomore and I'm also a Communication and Media major as well as a new Women's and Gender Studies major. So finally made that switch kind of putting some action behind my production work. So, you know, maybe I got a little bit more credibility now. I just wanted to give a brief summary of the COVID-19 timeline in terms of Merrimack College, because we kind of do want to use this as a historical document and a way to kind of just show what we've been, what we've been going through and give some of the background of uh, what these times have been like. So on March 2nd, college president uh, Christopher Hopi formed a task force charged the responsibility to not only follow the developments of the COVID-19 virus, but to also handle communication, outreach, um, and college policies on how to address it for our community. Their key goal was to take this slowly, step-by-step, and not jump ahead or respond from a position of panic. And personally, I gotta say, I think they did a really, really great job with that. The other key component well-received by the entire community was to remain completely transparent, updating us all on every step that was taken. Um, And they really did do a great job of communicating that to us every step of the way. Um, I don't think there was a week that went by or even a couple of days that went by where we didn't get an email saying something, something that was going on, something that they were doing. So that was extremely helpful. On March 5th, the SEND trip to San Diego was canceled along with the study abroad trip in Italy and several planned sports games. But at this point, um, other study abroad programs are still going on. I know ones in Spain and other parts of Europe are still going on. On March 10th, Merrimack extended spring break for an additional week to develop a plan to address the virus. And on March 13th, the college announced that all classes would move to a remote online format beginning March 23rd and going um, until the Monday after Easter break in April. The academic year was also extended a week to May 15th to ensure we meet uh, accreditation requirements as we were missing that week um, with that extra spring break. And after much deliberation and as the impact of the virus mounted, the college reluctantly and sadly decided on March 31st to complete the semester remotely and to postpone commencement ceremonies until it was safe to hold such an event. Um, So affecting our seniors and our grad students and um, all of that. So 
now I do want to bring in the panel. I do have a great group with me, as previously mentioned. Um, let's just start with some introductions. Who are you? Uh, what do you do at Merrimack? Um, where are you currently locked down in? Where do you find yourself in this quarantine shelter in place um, situation? Um, and just describe kind of what your specific lockdown situation has been like. So um, let's start with you, Deborah, and we'll go around. Sounds good. Hi, everyone. So like many of you, I am locked down, as, as Michael puts it, in my home in the North Shore of Massachusetts. Um, I'm very lucky and feel very privileged to be where I am. Um, and my husband is also here with me. We, um, it's been interesting and difficult. Um, I was asked to be a faculty ambassador. There's a group of about 28 of us, and we are um, helping our fellow faculty members in particular departments uh, with the transition to the new technology, um, to this new remote learning, um, helping people think through the needs of our students. I pr felt pretty strongly from the beginning that we all try to do some combination of asynchronous and synchronous um, teaching because, um, you know, we're a high touch college. Like we're, we're uh, during a normal semester, we're here for use for all of our students in whatever ways we need to be. I mean, my students know they can just come and hang out in my office. And how do you recreate things like that, that kind of community and that feeling that we're still here for you and available to you when you are remote? Um, so that's been my number one goal is to, is to figure out how to do that. And I talked to all of my faculty and encouraged everybody that I was an ambassador to, to think about ways to replicate that sense of community for our students and for each other, frankly. I think that's been the hardest part for, for me is um, I'm a super social person and I now take walks every day to keep myself from going insane and to stay healthy. And every time I see another person, I'm, I'm instantly like, oh, you know, we have to avoid them at all, you know, warning, warning, alien attacking, right? Like, we have to worry about that. It, it, it hurts my heart. It hurts my soul every time I pass a person and I have to cross to the other side of the street or um, treat everyone and, my, and, and, and myself as a walking virus or a potential walking virus. Um, so that's been, that's been the difficult part of it. Um, you know, I started stockpiling food pretty early. So we have plenty of food here, all, most of it healthy, although it's been interesting watching how you strategize shopping and eating in, in new ways. Um, so that's, that's most of it. I think my classes are going okay, but I mostly, I have to say, I miss my colleagues and my students very, very much. Um, I think that's, that's also been hard, it's just um, all of that. But, but I'll stop there, because I, I really want to hear how the rest of you are doing. Yeah, no, that was perfect. Uh, Tiffany, you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Tiffany. You guys, uh, all, that was a great introduction, by the way, Michael. I love that you wrote introductions for all of us. So yes, I'm the um, media coordinator and an instructor in the communications department. Um, basically, that means I am teaching classes in production, but I'm also supporting students um, outside of classes. So that makes this really, really, really hard for me because literally my job is um, focused on students and helping students inside the classroom and outside the classroom. So I, like Deborah, miss my students so much. I literally am like in tears today thinking about lots of other things, but literally in tears thinking about my students and, and not being able to communicate with them in person and not being able to have people come into my office and, and hang out. So that's, 
um, that's where my brain is at constantly. Like, how can I, how can I be available? How can I support them? Um, and it's, it's hard. So I'm, I'm in New Hampshire. Um, it's myself and my husband and our cat. Um, and it's again, just like to echo Deborah, like feeling really thankful for having a house that's warm and we have food and I have a big yard. Um, I have a basement that I can go in and do my workouts. So it's, it's, it's very, very weird to be isolated and, and have things kind of be the same, but not like I'm reminded every time I go, um, to get groceries, like I have to wear a face mask and I have to, you know, be really cautious of other people. And it's those weird moments where you realize that nothing is ever going to be the same again. And it's, it's, it's really, really, really interesting to me. Um, I'm just trying to think I'm I'm like, just, this is like so stream of consciousness. Like my whole brain today is just in a fog. Like it's just today's day 40 of, of me being home. I've been trying to post like a picture on social media every day just to be like, this is what I've been doing. And it started as workout posts and being like, yeah, I'm going to get real fit in a quarantine. And now it's, it's like, this is what I'm doing to survive. This is what I'm doing for my mental health today. This is how, um, I'm trying to be somewhat normal, but I mean, really what it comes down to is like, I miss, I miss people. I miss my friends. I mean, I had friends come over yesterday and we talked through the, you know, the screen door or the glass of the screen door, not even the screen. Um, my husband's birthday was this week and his mom came over and dropped off a cake and just those moments where you're like, I can't even hug this person or we can't get together and have a birthday cake or things like that. My dad works for the tea in Boston. And I found out that the, the PPE that they've been given is not the best. And like, I think about that every single day, like just the people in my life that are essential. Um, so it's been, it's been difficult for sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, I think everyone kind of understands that and can speak to that. I'm a big hugger. I miss hugs. I miss, I miss anything social, hugging and just physical touch. And I mean, like Deborah said, like walking to the other side of the street, I was walking my dog today and just having to walk to the other side, it it breaks your heart. You want to say hi, you want to just, you don't want to have to do that. It feels like so rude almost, but it's the polite thing to do. It's, it's what's right right now. So just a totally different way of life. Megan, tell me, fill me in. What's going on in your life? Hello, everyone. So um, as Michael said, um, I am Megan. Um, I'm a graduating senior. Um, So this has been very strange as someone that like was already kind of holding on to like my last couple months of college and and then it just all kind of disappeared. But besides that, I'm in um, Connecticut. I'm in Hamden. Um, I live in more of like the southern part of the state, so we do have a lot more cases down here just because New York isn't that far away. My town in particular has about 500 cases. There are a lot. I I do live in a big, small town. There's like 66,000 of us, so there are a lot of people, but I'm in my house. I'm lucky to have a house. I have my own room. I can, that's where I've been basically for this entire duration of you know being home um because it's the only place that is quiet enough for me to get my work done um it's my myself my mom my dad my sister and my dog i do have a backyard so that's nice um but it's been strange um i was sick for a good portion of being home um 
I'm almost certain that it was a uh, coronavirus and my mom was sick. So for a while I was like pretty like out of commission. Um, and it was weird because I, I, if it was in fact coronavirus, I was very lucky that it wasn't a severe case. Um, I didn't, you know, suffer nowhere near what people are going through like in hospitals. And I'm very thankful and lucky um, for that. Um, I just couldn't get tested because at the time there were, there weren't enough tests in Connecticut. And my doctor was basically like, you know, you're not severe enough to get tested. So I just kind of, you know, waiting it out. It's week four, um, still, you know, trying to get myself together. But, you know, at first it was focusing on getting better and now I'm better. So now I'm starting to deal with like my reality, you know, like looking for jobs, like getting back into like the swing of like school and, you know, like dealing with like what I have left to finish up as a senior because I had so many things I was working towards and, you know, getting ready to do. And now I kind of have to get back on track with that because I'm still graduating. Like life will, will not pause um, in that aspect. So I'm just trying to, I guess, move on with like my life now post being sick. Um, I try and take walks sometimes, occasionally I'll go to Duncan and it's very weird. Um, I go in like full body armor and it's so strange and I feel like very nervous just reaching for my cup and I feel bad even going because I don't want them to, you know, be nervous. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a strange, it's a strange life now, but you know, it's okay. I'm trying. So obviously Megan, I've got a lot of questions for you. So we'll, we'll kind of. I'll, I'll ask you, but it'll, it'll go to the larger group, but let, let's, let's, let's go focus on you and your timeline. So we kind of leave for spring break and just kind of, kind of give me your timeline. When did you get sick? What were these symptoms? What was that experience like for you? Just kind of walk me through from when, when we left for spring break, we left Merrimack, um, you know, walk me through the, your, your timeline to now. Yeah, so um, it's spring break, and it's kind of when everything was starting to get a little serious, but, like, the stores were still open. I was still going to TJ Maxx a lot. I was, like, trying to, like, occupy myself because none of my friends were home, so I was just, like, going to stores, like, shopping, like, endlessly, and then, and then everything started to get bad, and I remember, you know, they started to ease into the, the like, restrictions, so my friends and I were still hanging out, but, um, we were going like to a lot of like outdoors, like, you know, places like hiking and walking on trails, trying to avoid people, but still being together. And um, that was the week after our spring break was extended. And then the next week, so it was March 25th. Um, it was a Wednesday. I remember I just woke up and I, you know, I really hadn't been anywhere. Like besides being with my friends, maybe once or twice, I hadn't gone out to any stores. I like really just like hunkered down and like stayed in my house. So when I woke up on the 25th, I was so exhausted. Like I had a fever, my body like hurt to the touch. Like my skin like felt achy, even though I hadn't done anything strenuous to like make myself like be in that much pain. Um, I, I, I immediately could tell that like I was like sweating. Um, my taste and my smell were completely gone. Um, like almost immediately. Um, and then I was like, oh no, like once I, I, once I read that that was like a good indication that you have it, I was like, this is it. So the next few days after that were, um, were kind of like the worst part of it. My fever lasted for about five days. 
Um, three days into it, I was really sick. I couldn't get out of bed. I had a headache all day. Um, my body like hurt me. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to eat because I couldn't taste. I, but I had to eat because I needed to put something in my body. So I was like constantly like battling, like, what do I do? Like, do I get up? Like, do I try and make myself feel better? Or do I just like literally stay in bed? Um, so I, I mostly, you know, for the, the rest of that week, just stayed in my bed. I tried to um, quarantine from my family because I was so worried about getting them sick. Um, my mom ended up actually getting sick and she had a cough um, worse than I did. Um, I had like some chest pains here and there, but nowhere near as bad as she did. Um, so we kind of had the same symptoms. She didn't have much as a fever as I did. So then like we had two family members in the house that were sick. I was so nervous about the rest of my family getting um, also sick. So that was really stressful because not only was I worrying about myself, I was worrying about the rest of my house, you know, being okay. Um, and then from there, you know, it, it took me about two weeks to really get out of like that slump. And, you know, now I'm, I'm approaching week four um, and I feel better. It's just my taste and my smell are, are still dull. But besides that, I feel good. But it, it really took me like a good, you know, 14, 15 days to come out of it and, you know, feel like myself again and get my strength back and like want to take a shower and want to eat. So it's been a process. But in looking back on it, I just feel like all the weeks are blending into each other. Like I can't even distinguish like when I started to feel like that and like how long ago it was because it was a month ago, but it feels like forever ago. But, um, but yeah, I'm still chugging. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that, that does not sound easy at all. And, um, do you, would you say that your mentality has changed at all about this whole situation? Do you have a different outlook on it? Having like experienced it firsthand yourself, do you have, any thoughts or like, I don't know, because you, you now have firsthand experience and can, can talk about it. I just feel really, I think that I feel very lucky that if it was in fact like coronavirus, I got a very mild case of it because like I said, you know, earlier that there are people that, you know, are really struggling right now and like dying from it. Um, so it made me, it's, I'm feel lucky but at the same time. I also feel very scared because I really didn't go anywhere to, I'm like, I'm already a very nervous person about germs. So like when this all happened, I was like, you know, already going into like my germaphobe, you know, mode. So now I'm thinking, where did I even get this? And you know, how long is it actually going to take for me to get better? So it's really putting things into perspective. And I know like, you know, people think that just going here and there is no big deal, but you know that's that's all it takes because I must have went one outdoorsy place and you know maybe came into contact with something and and there it was um so I I feel lucky I just I think that from now on I'll constantly be thinking about what I'm touching where I'm going so there's a lot of extra thinking now going into everything that you do so I almost don't want to leave my house but I know you know eventually I'll have to go back into the world but it's it's a lot to think about yeah, no, definitely. Uh, Tiffany, why don't you give me your, your timeline? So uh, we'd even talked, I think, the Friday that we left, and we were kind of joking about what was going to happen, and we were joking about whether they were going to let me go home, and, and that, that I didn't get to go home. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. But give me your timeline. Yeah, I actually remember that really specifically because you were like, I'll see you after spring break, maybe, I don't know. Um, 
yeah, this whole thing was really weird. And I will fully admit that I was one of those people at the very beginning, um, you know, early February and, and March where I was like, it's just the flu. It's fine. Wash your hands. It's all good. And I was one of those, like this, there's no way that this is, is going to be a thing because how could it be? So I remember we went, you know, we went away for spring break and I was still on campus because I'm staff. So I actually have to be on campus during spring break. Um, and it's quiet and it's weird. And I ended up taking that Friday off and, you know, just because it's so quiet. Um, but that whole week we were like, what's going to happen? And it just started getting progressively more aggressive and, and, you know, things were closing. I was planning to go um, to the Harvard Museum of Natural History that Friday. That's why I was taking the day off. Um, and all week I was like, oh, cool. It's still open. It's still open. We're going to go. And then, you know, Thursday afternoon, everything's closed. Um, and it was just this really odd feeling of like, okay, so this now affects me, this thing that I was going to go do now I can't do. And then going into that weekend, it was just the rumors of like, oh, it might, you know, the campus might close and we might not come back. And I remember just like checking my email and constantly like, when are we going to get an update? When are we going to get an update? I just need to know. And, and then the email comes through like, all right, campus is closed. You know, we'll, we'll come back. Um, at that point it was, it was coming back after Easter break. And I was like, okay, you know, everything's going to be great. And then like Megan talked about the weeks just started to blend into one another. And then, um, you know, trying to, I mean, I'm pretty tech savvy, but trying to take these classes that are very production focused and very hands-on and very reliant on me being in a classroom in a lab with my 18 to 20 students and like answering their questions in person and having all of the same technology um, and now having to adapt all those classes to online and having some students who are like, oh, I don't have a laptop at home or my Wi-Fi doesn't work or I don't have, my computer's too old and I can't download this program and just realizing how quickly I have to now change my entire syllabus, my entire plan. And we still don't know if we're coming back. So I kind of cautiously started planning, okay, this is what we can do in these three weeks. Well, it'll be a stopgap. We'll figure it out. And then the more the, the rumors started coming through, oh, I don't know if we're going to come back. And um, I'm also a grad student at Merrimack. So I remember um, my professor posting her updated syllabus and it was online virtual classes all through the end of the semester. And I was like, do you not think we're coming back? And she's like, I, I don't think so. And just that it was that not knowing for sure that we weren't coming back and trying to plan. And like, I just felt like I was in this constant limbo of like feeling like I wasn't doing enough and feeling like I was doing too much. And it's just, and now it's, like I said, it's day 40 and I'm exhausted. Like I, I, it's, I'm, I miss my students. I'm sad for their projects that they don't get to finish. I feel like I'm not connecting with them enough. I have students that I haven't connected with since before spring break and I have care reports out for them. Um, and it's, it's just, it feels weird to think of that, that week before, you know, going on, to, you know, you guys leaving for spring break and, and being like, all right, end the semester home stretch. And, and now it's just, it's this odd, weird thing. And I, it, it doesn't feel real. Like there are some, like today, today I let myself cry, like for like the whole morning, like I'm just, everything makes me cry today. And I'm letting myself feel that because it's, it, this doesn't feel real and it doesn't, 
it doesn't make sense. So that's where I'm at. That's my weird timeline and, and how I'm here now. <laughs> no, I, it, it doesn't make any sense. At all. It feels like a whole new year. It feels like a whole new semester. It feels like we're in, in a whole new phase. I mean, um, I'm back home with my sister right now and she's a, a senior in high school. So she's, you know, dealing with not having her high school graduation, not having your prom and last Friday, I mean, she hasn't even been able to tour and visit schools. So um, we just drove up to Redlands, California and went up to some California schools and just kind of drove past them and got out of the car, put our masks on and walked around. And that was the extent of her college visiting. But it's just, it's so, it's so strange because I had a totally different experience and she's now having to pick schools off of just basically seeing the exterior and whatever the colleges can present online. So just a whole new way of life right now. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of my timeline because my timeline, um, I mean, I think all of our timelines are, are unique, but I feel like mine is um, extremely unique because like everyone said, uh, our attitudes I think are totally different since um, we left for spring break that Friday because it was just a totally different world almost, even though it was just a little over a month ago. Um, but I was planned to go home. Um, I'm an RA. Um, in uh, at Merrimack College. I live on campus in the dorms, um, but I'm from San Diego, California, uh, born and raised. And so I was planning on going home that Saturday. Um, we were going to do closing Friday night and I was going to spend my last night Friday in the dorms and then I was going to catch a flight Saturday. Um, but all of a sudden that Thursday and Friday, even that last Friday, things were just escalating and um, my bosses uh, told me that it'd be a good idea if I contacted the task force and told them about my plans. Um, and I did, and they told me that if I went to California, I would have to quarantine upon return. So after spring break, I'd have to self-isolate for two weeks, and um, then I could return back to class. But it's difficult for me because I live on campus, and they wouldn't let me self-isolate in the dorms. So they advised me to cancel my plans and stay at Merrimack in the dorms for spring break. So that was a, that was a very, very different plan, but um, I cooperated. They, they were very gracious and um, actually paid for my groceries and allowed me to go to Market Basket and get some food. Um, and I have friends in the senior apartments that let me use their kitchens. And it was, it was, it was really nice, really awesome. Love the community of Merrimack and, and everything they did. Um, but I was at Merrimack for a week and uh, not a lot going on, just kind of staying in the dorms, uh, chilling and eating my bacon. And um, but it was it was a little it was a little uh, a little scary because then they extended it an extra week. And so now I'm thinking, well, how how much longer am I going to be here? Like, what is this looking like? And as as the world's getting a little crazier and people are starting to lock down and the cases were starting to go up. It was scary being alone at Merrimack, just by yourself, the whole college to yourself. And um, um, all the colleges were getting canceled around me. I know uh, my girlfriend goes to BC, and so uh, her college was canceled. And I was like, well, what's going to happen? Does that mean that Merrimack's going to cancel? We're out on spring break right now. How long are they going to keep extending this? What's going to happen? Like, just let me go home at this point. Um, and finally, when they did say that things were moving online, they said it would be a good idea to go home be a good idea to go back with my family because Merrimack at that point was was saying that it would be in my best case to to stay which which I do believe that they were trying to protect me and say you know we can contain you here we can keep you safe here you're not going to get the virus um, 
but I was glad that they finally did let me go home. And so now I am home in hot, sunny Southern California with my family. So very thankful to be here um, and be with my family again. But it was crazy. It was a crazy um, couple of, it was a couple of crazy week, honestly. And uh, lots of uncertainties, but it was, it was new for everyone. It was new for me. It was new for everyone involved. And I'm just glad that everyone um, was, was supportive of me and very helpful and getting me the things that I needed. Um, that's my story. Um, Deborah, would you like to tell your timeline from when we, when we left to, to now and, and what that transition has been like, how your feelings have changed, how your, your thoughts on the whole situation has changed? Sure. Um, my timeline's a little crazy because I was sick the week before spring break. Um, and people's awareness was all already kind of mounting around the possibility of this virus. And, um, it hadn't, materialized in any quantifiable way in Massachusetts yet. But um, the symptoms I had were just for a really severe cold. And I had a bunch of meetings and I, Michael and, and Megan are both in my, in my class. And um, you both know, I hate to cancel class. I, I I'm like the kid. I'm like the grown up version of the kid who didn't like to miss a day of school. Like I'm that person. I do not like to miss school for both my classroom experiences and for the social aspects, I just don't like to miss anything, you know? And, and so um, when I cancel a class, you know, it's serious. Um, and because everybody's awareness was growing about the, you know, COVID-19 and, and um, people were being asked, if you don't feel well at all, stay home, stay home. I canceled that last class. So I'm haunted by that. I'm haunted by the fact that I missed that Thursday final opportunity to see my students. It bothered me at the time to cancel it, but I knew I was, I was hard. You would not have wanted to see me. It was just a, not a pretty picture of, you know, runny nose and all the things that happened with a really bad cold and, um, and people were starting to say to me, do you think it's the virus? And I kept saying, it's a cold. <laughs> like, I know it's a cold. Um, but I, I, I am still haunted by the fact that I missed that one final chance to be in a classroom. Um, the class that I teach that you both are in, um, I thought we had, we were building this incredible dynamic and relationship in the classroom. And I think we've managed actually to maintain that in the, in the remote medium, but I had a lot of questions about whether that was going to translate well. Um, and as an instructor, as a teacher, I really try to cultivate what was happening in that room very consciously that people trust each other enough to say things that might be uncomfortable um, or controversial, because that's how we get to the, real, you know, crux of, of learning. Um, I've been through a lot of big, um, events, personal and, and historical in my life. So I have a really keenly sort of fine tuned sense of, of before and after. I think about before and after a lot in my life. I lived through 9-11 in New York City. I have a real sense of what New York was like before, during, and after. I'm a breast cancer survivor. I know who I was before that event, and I know who I was after. I lost my sister when she was 30. And similarly, there's a me before that and a me after. I'm in that same moment with all of you now. And every time you have one of those moments, you get this real sense like the earth beneath your feet is not stable. It's not secure. Everything feels like it could crumble. The world could swallow you up in an instant. I, this feels very much like 
that same nightmare feeling I had when 9-11 was happening. I mean, I stood on the roof of my apartment building and watched those Twin Towers crumble and thought, this is a movie, right? This isn't, I'm going to wake up. Somebody's going to tell me this isn't real. I get up every morning thinking the same thing and the days for me blend into the next. Some days feel like they're a week long. Other days feel like they're five minutes long. Um, I do not sleep well at all. I was an insomniac before this, so disclaimer, I've never been a good sleeper, but now I will be up till four or five in the morning. And it, what'll happen to me as I'm starting to get sleepy around 10 or 11, and then the panic kicks in and then I'm just up. It, there's this real sense of doom or dread, like there's this invisible cloud around all of us. That's of course a virus because it's invisible, right? So I have this real sense of like, it's out there and I, you know, I don't know. It feels like I'm in a bad 70s sci-fi movie, you know, like at any moment, the blob is going to kind of descend. And um, so it, that leaves me um, really aware of um, things to be grateful for. I, my birthday was April Fool's Day, so, which is just funny in its own right. But I, I got up that day and, and my friends know, you know, I'm a birthday diva. Like it's my day. We go to the spa. You don't talk to me. I eat the foods I like. I was the little kid who got sent to her room by the end of her birthday every year because I was such a little diva at six going, it's my day. It's my day. By the end of the day, mom would say, I've had enough. Go to your room. But which I still think was wrong, by the way. I tell her this every time I see her. You should not be sending a child to her room. It's her one day. But <laughs> nonetheless, my friends who know me and know me well said, you know, what are you going to do? You know, they were, there was this real sense of like major trauma. And I said, well, what am I going to do? You know what? I woke up healthy on my birthday. That's, that's, that's the best present I could have asked for. My husband made me a spectacular meal because he's an awesome cook because Italian men can cook. Um, and you know, I gave myself a pedicure and I watched, I watched the Shirley Chisholm documentary because she's my hero. And I know I assigned it for class, but I had already watched it for class. I just really wanted to connect with a strong, powerful woman on my birthday. And the last thing I'm going to say about the sort of befores and afters is that oh, two things, actually. Um, one is that I found myself taking stock in the blessings of my life, which I think a lot of people are doing right now. I'm rethinking wants and needs. Like I think as a society, we blurred wants and needs into the same thing. And they're not the same thing, right? I want all kinds of new clothes. I want all kinds of um, shoes and coats, please bring them to me. But I don't need them. I have enough clothes, assuming I, my size doesn't change, to last me into the grave. Like, I don't need clothes, but I want them. Like, I've learned, and I've been cleaning out my closet and looking at things and saying, like, why did you buy this? What were you thinking? And, you know, why are there so many things with tags still on them? Like, what does that say about me as a consumer and the ways in which I think we medicate ourselves through consumption as a society, right? I'm stressed out, I'm going shopping. I'm, you know, bummed out, I'm going shopping and whatever, I'm going shopping. So I've been thinking a lot about that and, and really reevaluating. Um, and I don't even go online to look at stuff anymore. Like I used to even just do that as a pastime. Like, let's see what the new things are. Let's see if there's a pair of booties that'll fit that outfit that I don't quite think I have, even though I have like too many pairs of boots. But so there's that. And the other thing, because I'm a historian and I care so much about this historic moment 
and what it means and how it's going to impact all of us. But I'm really interested in how it's going to impact your generation, Michael's and Megan's, and the younger generations coming up. Um, I asked one of my students um, if he thought about how this was changing his generation. And he said, oh, no, we'll all go back to normal after this. And I thought, no, you really won't. Like there's people who lived through the Great Depression. My dad, for example, came out of the Great Depression um, being really sensitive that the sky could always fall in. Like my dad for my entire life said, prepare for a depression. And there was, in his lifetime, there was never another depression. But he was always shaped by that event. I think your generation is going to be shaped by this event. Like we've all talked about the small things that we've been doing differently, wearing masks and worrying about germs and crossing the street. But um, I don't think we're ever going to look at other human beings the same way. But I think what does that do to a generation that has yet to marry, that has yet to have children and families, that has yet to build businesses and careers? I'm really interested in how it will shape you and in turn how it, you will shape the future generations that you help to, to raise. So I'm going to stop there. Can I add something to that? Oh, Tiffany, you go first. I, I want to add something to you about, about the whole generational thing. So I'm a, I'm a millennial. I'm 33. And my generation, um, there's a few memes going around online about like, you know, if your generation lived through, you know, one disaster and one depression. So I have now, I was a freshman in high school when 9-11 happened. So I was 14. Um, coming out of college, when the whole like housing market crashed and the job market crashed. So I've now experienced that and having to deal with that. Um, like I said, I'm 33 and I just bought a house four years ago. Like just at, I'm at the point now where I feel financially stable and like now this happens. And so like, there's this joke, you know, these jokes, these coping mechanisms on online where people are just joking about millennials. Like we're never, we're never gonna, we always like, it's like the short end of the stick. Like, okay, well, we've lived through all of these things. So let's just bring it on, I guess. Like, let's bring on the crippling depression and anxiety. And it is weird to think about. I, I haven't thought about too much about like the younger, younger generation. Like I have friends who are um, teachers and work with elementary school kids. And like, what, how are they dealing with this? Like how, how is an eight-year-old going to process this later on in life? That's really interesting. But like being, being in your thirties and being like, well, we lived through 9-11. We lived through going to war with Iraq. We lived through housing market crashing and not being able to buy a house and, and the student loan, you know, crisis and all of these things. So it's really interesting to think about it from that, that generational perspective for sure. I feel like I'm always going to be like, well, what's the next bad thing that's going to happen? Like it just, we're conditioned for it at this point. Um, I really, I feel I'm a, so I'm a Gen Z. Um, I'm 22. I think people like often like conflate like millennials and like Gen Zers. And like, I am a Gen Z. Like I was born in 1998. I am 22 years old. I'm not a millennial. Um, but I think about this often. Like I'm just like a really, I like to have a plan. I'm just a planner. That's just how I am. So I'm 22 and I really like had an idea for the next eight years loosely, like about like how I would like my life to go, you know, like when I would, you know, go to grad school and like move out, you know, things I wanted to accomplish by 30. And a lot of it like had to do with like traveling to different places in the world. Like I want, you know, to at some point uh, move to DC and, you know, work down there. And now 
I'm like thinking, you know, that's like all change. Like I, I don't know when I'll be able to, to travel. Like I want to see so much of the world. So I often like worry about that. Um, I think cause I was already nervous about getting to see the world because I do think about climate change almost every single day and like what the world will look like by the time I actually do get to explore it. So now I'm thinking, okay, like now I'm pushed back even more by a couple years. So I'm like kind of, you know, I think, I don't think anyone has an eight year plan, but I'm just wondering now what the next couple years of my life will look like. Like, will I find a job? Will I be able to move to DC, you know, when I wanted to, when, you know, go to grad school and get these things done. So it's, it's really worrisome. Like I do worry about, you know, people my age and like the toll that this is going to have on how we, we find jobs and how we, we can accomplish things, you know, in our 20s. Because I, I always imagined when I was small that your 20s, like, last forever. But, like, now I'm 22 and, like, I already feel, like, the time just, like, rushing by me. And not that I'm running out of time, but, like, I just feel like I have to get a lot done. And maybe that's, like, a capitalistic idea that, like, you have to maximize, like, you know, your younger years for the most productivity. But I do feel like a time strain now. So. I'm also kind of trying to figure out what do I do with myself before I turn 30. I just wrote you a comment in our Zoom chat. Again, we're on Zoom, so we can see each other. I know you guys can't see us, but we can see each other. But Megan talking about being in your 20s, it gets worse. I'm 30. No. And I can only imagine what you guys are going through. Like, I mean, I know how it felt for me, like graduating from college and having a, you know, a 3.8 GPA. And I had just come back from LA on this awesome internship. And then to come back and have to work at Home Depot because that there was no job, there were no jobs. And I can only imagine what you, you know, you're feeling as a senior, like, what does that mean for interviews? And like, you know, so many people are getting laid off and, and furloughed and, and when is, when are things going to be normal and when can they be normal? And like, I, I feel for you, like, I understand as, as a millennial, like, I understand what you're feeling in that uncertainty. And like, this is not how you planned your life to go. Like, it, it's, it sucks. And it's no, it is really not. hard. And let yourself feel that. Let yourself Thank feel you. frustrated. And, and you know, it, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy in general. And it's not easy with all of this, like, our, I hate calling it like our new reality. And every email that starts with, I hope this email finds you well. Like, all of these, like, weird things, but like, I, I feel for you and I, I definitely understand and, and can empathize on some level for sure. Thank you for the solidarity. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I have to jump in. I have to say that, um, these are lessons I learned much later, right? When you wrote to Megan in the chat, like it gets worse. I'm not even going to tell you how old I am, but, um, it does get worse, but I mean, life is a roller coaster, right? So you know, there are ups and downs and, and, you know, I, I forget that line about, you know, you know, um, life is what happens when you're making other plans. Isn't that John Lennon? Right. But, but, um, I think you learn the book. This is, it falls back into that before and after, like here's Megan before Megan before has big plans to travel. I mean, one of the conversations she and I had before, um, break was that she was really upset about not being able to go to Spain. Um, and that was her plan, I think, for summer or for um, post-graduation, yeah. Post-graduation. And, you know, I've traveled a lot. So I know how important travel is. I think, um, you know, unfortunately, this is why I think it's shaping this younger generation different. It, they will be a different group because they, are, they have been 
person, individual personalities aside, very focused on what they, what their own goals and plans are. And they lived in a world before this where they could believe those things were possible. And now they have to rethink if they're possible and how they're possible. But I, and, and I didn't have to start doing that in my life until the first bad thing happened. And I was 37. So I had a long time to, to be Megan, you know, to have my plans and, and alter them, you know, when you didn't get the job you wanted or little things, but not, not working at Home Depot and not, I can't go to Spain kind of alterations more like, uh, okay, I'll find another job just like this some, somewhere else. So I think, I think that's, yeah, I'm sad for, for your generation having to learn about life's before and after moments in profound ways. So young. I'd love to hear how, how Michael feels about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's such rapid change. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I'm kind of a sophomore, so I'm, I'm in the middle of everything. and it, Nothing's being changed too much, but I mean, like, I, I, just, I just get to go with the flow at this point because I don't know what's going to happen in the fall. I don't know what's going to happen, you know, next year. Everything's been canceled from concerts to sports games to everything. So it's just a kind of a really unsure time. Um, but I don't know. There, there are some bright spots in it. I, I, I feel like there are some good things that are coming out of this time, but um, it's just tough. It's tough. You, you got to be in the right mentality, I think, and um, be able to look at the, the, the bright side of things. Um, but for Megan, I, I, I feel for you. I don't, I, I can't even imagine what that's like. And, and I, I also want to hear more about, um, because I'm not a senior and I don't know the, the specifics, but can you talk about graduation and about the changes that are being made there and what they're doing for you guys? If, it, if they're doing anything for you guys, and just, I don't know, what, what, what is the future looking like for you? So, um, so as of right now, um, graduation is postponed. So it's not happening May 17th anymore, obviously. When um, that also includes that senior week is now canceled. So senior week um, was supposed to be like this week long, like celebration where, you know, we go on the Boston Harbor, we do like a bar crawl, you know, a bunch of, you know, things with the senior class. Um, and now that's also canceled. Um, but there, but you know, what I really do appreciate about Merrimack is that they're making it a point to reschedule these things. So even senior week, it won't be a week. It'll probably be condensed into a weekend. Um, there's, they still want to have it at some points for us and they still um, are opting for like an in-person commencement, which I'm very thankful for because a lot of colleges have just canceled graduation, you know, like they're doing an online kind of celebration. You're going to get your diploma mailed and they're like, that's it. Uh, and I just feel like that really, it, I, and I, I understand, you know, colleges are really struggling right now with like the logistics of everything and it's just crazy and it, you know, it throws the whole plan off, but it just, when I thought for a minute that I wasn't going to be able to walk across age or like even see my roommates again are just people that, you know, even if I'm not friends with just to like say hi and, you know, hug them again and, you know, say goodbye to professors and like say goodbye to Deborah and, and you know, all of you. I was like so upset. And like, I have these moments where like I do cry and I'm like, you know, I, I can't believe this is how it's going, but it gives me hope that at some point we will have a graduation. So I have something to look forward to. So even if I don't find a job and even if I can't travel, you know, to all these places, at least I was still, you know, going to have my college graduation in the midst of like a pandemic. So, um, 
I am, you know, I am thankful. I just hope it actually happens. So I hope, you know, it doesn't, plans don't get thrown off in, you know, the next couple months because we don't know what's going to happen with, you know, if a second wave will hit, like what things will look like in the fall, if it does happen in the fall. Um, but I'm just looking forward to like seeing everyone again. I just, I want to, you know, say my friends, you know, and I want to see the campus one last time and like kind of say goodbye and I have to move my stuff out I still have stuff in my apartment so I have to go back and get my things so I have a lot of wrapping up to do honestly well that's a good we can that's a good uh segue actually as a way to close um what are some concerns what are some um hopes what are what are your thoughts for the future going into this um we're going to try to obviously keep these episodes going possibly weekly if we can, but just something to document this time and almost like a diary almost to ourselves, if, if, if anything. Um, but what are, what are your fears? What are your hopes? What are, what are your thoughts going into the future? What are you concerned about? And what are you maybe looking forward to? Um, and we'll start with Tiffany. I was afraid of it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to like try to do this without crying. Um, my fear is, I think, just like my own mental health is going to suffer. You know, the mental health and well-being of my students is going to suffer. I, I'm very fearful of, of not being able to make those connections with students or not being able to help. Um, it's, it feels really odd. Like I mentioned earlier, like I have care reports out and like just I'm, I'm fearful for other people and it's weird because I'm not a parent I'm not a mom I I'm a cat mom but I have this like just really strong love for my students whether you guys know it or not (laughs) um this really really like I I feel for you guys I really like care about you guys you know a lot and I think about you guys when I'm like at home I'm like oh I hope that they're okay I hope that their project happens um so that's my fear is that I'm not going to be able to help people and I'm not going to be able to connect with people. And, and, you know, like Deborah's talking about cultivating that, that, that classroom space and that environment. And it's, it's really hard and it's, it's weighing on me daily. Um, hopes and in, in bright spots. Um, I actually, I do like teaching online and I do like taking classes online. And so I'm not, as upset about the possibility of some of my grad classes moving online. Cause I, I like, I like learning at home. Um, I like that option. I like being at home. I like being able to get up and get a snack. <laughs> I know it sounds so silly, but like, I like, I like the flexibility of online learning and online teaching. Um, so I'm really curious to see going forward, um, how that changes not just Merrimack and not just colleges and not just like every industry, like how that working from home policy is going to change and how, um, how we're going to adapt. And I know there's, there's so much pushback from a lot of industries about working from home and, and remote working and all of that stuff. Telecommuting is the, is the term. Um, so it'll be really, really interesting to see how that stuff progresses. Like, you know, imagine if you have a job posting online you know, someone like Megan, like you're graduating, imagine you find a job offer online and you can telecommute and you can like literally work with a company like in, an, on, in another part of the world and help them. And you're the best candidate, even though you're, you know, in Connecticut, like just what that does for 
people's options. I don't know. I, these are things I think about. I'm like, that would be so cool if you had, if you weren't limited by your location to where you apply for a job and like, I don't know. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm scared for, you know, that possibility of not having social interaction for a while, but I'm, I'm hopeful that this will bring about some change and, and maybe some positives and maybe some more flexibility and kind of going back to treating people like humans and, and not, you know, demanding so much of them and not, you know, thinking of what's really important and, and connecting as people and not just thinking about the bottom line. So does that answer your question? <laughs> I feel like I could talk about this forever. I'm just, I'm in a really emotional state today. <laughs> no, I completely agree. I mean, I, I think, I think we are getting a little bit of humanity back. And I mean, we, we, I've seen on social media, the, the environmental impact this is all having and how things are kind of, this is kind of like a reset for the world. And it's a, it's an awful reset. It's maybe the worst possible um, reset that we could have possibly had, but um, I don't know. There, there, there is some, some beautiful acts of humanity coming out of it. And I think, I think people are showing that they care more than, more than ever. They're showing that this, that they really do care in big ways um, that I don't think we've, we've seen before. Um, yeah, go ahead. Add one more thing. Uh, you just, yeah. you just made me think of this though in the ways that people have become creative in, in teaching online and working online and connecting with people and doing remote birthday parties and, and, you know, live streaming art. And I have, um, some musicians I follow on social media that have been live streaming concerts in their home. Um, one of my favorite bands has been doing happy hours every week, um, on Twitch and streaming stuff. The ways that people have like developed to, to connect with other people, like just shows that like we crave that social interaction. Like we are gonna, I, I it makes me hopeful for, for things because people have been just so so creative and, and, and pushing that. And it's, it's really interesting and fascinating to see that happen. No, I completely agree. I, that's what I, that's what I'm excited to see. That's what I want to see more of I want to see more of this, this virtual community in this ways that we're, we're all connected in ways that we don't even have to be physically connected. We, uh, the fact that I am in a zoom call recording an, a podcast episode from the other side of the country, like I, there, there there's something great about the things that are happening during this time. Uh, Deborah, do you want to, do you want to add anything? Do you want to say anything about fears, hopes, bright spots? Yeah. yeah I've, it's been interesting listening to the two communication and media people um, sharing right now about these really good, interesting bright spots around connection. Um, because I, I've been thinking about that myself and a lot of the things that Tiffany said, I mean, my concerns are, about uh, surround connection um, and also surround loss of life. And, um, you know, there is a who's next quality to, to this. I mean, those, those tickers on the news media of how many deaths and how many cases are deeply concerning to me. Um, as someone who studied the 1918 pandemic, I, I, I know there'll be another wave. And, um, I, you know, I love our community at Merrimack College. I love walking that campus and, you know, even usually when I'm by myself watching how other, how you all connect and how we all connect to each other, the conversations I see among students, students with faculty, um, you know, faculty together, 
I, I really love being a participant observer in, in, in all of that. And, and so when Tiffany was saying she was going to cry, I started, I'm a serial crier. The minute you start, I'm going to cry. I'm going to follow right behind you. I, I get emotional missing like just that picture I have in my head of what Merrimack College represents to me. I waited a long time to get my job at Merrimack College. I was an adjunct for way too many years. I started in 2003 and I started here full time in 2016. So, you know, those of you who can do math, it's 13 years of off and on adjuncting. Um, this job is one of the best things that ever happened in my life. It's the job I always wanted. And, um, and, and so I, it's profound to me um, when I think about what it meant to join this community three, uh, well, I guess four years, four years ago and on a permanent basis and what, what's happening to the community now. Um, I miss everyone. Um, there, I can't imagine standing in front of a classroom wearing a mask and looking out at a sea of students in masks. Um, I can't imagine standing behind um, a piece of acrylic, uh, although that seems more feasible to me in terms of the way I teach to imagine that I'm walking back and forth in front of everyone and they're all safe from whatever I might be emitting. Um, but I, you know, I know we're all thinking about um, class space and how to socially distance ourselves, right? In how do we put 29 students or, or 30 students in a classroom in, 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 at, on campus in the fall? Um, when those rooms were packed before this situation. So that's going to mean creative teaching. Like I'm already thinking maybe my classes get cut in half. So maybe I put an online lecture for both of my, you know, for, for a, like I teach a Tuesday, Thursday, maybe there's an online uh, lecture that um, everyone watches, but we do 45 minutes a piece live in the classroom so there's enough room for everybody to socially distance. I mean, we're having to, one of the benefits of what we learned going remote is how we can be more creative as teachers and, and educators in, and, and we have to be now, right? Because there may be a second wave. So I'm concerned about the, I'm hopeful there may not be a second wave. I, I, I'm a bit of an optimist and a Pollyanna sometimes, and I go to bed every night going, please, we can wait this out. I can do everything I need to do for the next several months even, but I'd like to come back in the fall and feel the old Merrimack. I'd like to come back to the Merrimack pre-spring break and be able to hug anybody who wants to hug me because I'm a hugger too, Michael. And, <laughs> and I'd like to be able to shake the hands of a colleague um, if, or a, a, someone I'm introduced to. I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic about that, about if we do everything right now, maybe um, we can come back to a, 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 a reality that resembles more closely one that we all love and miss. But I am concerned about people opening up again too quickly, which I'm seeing around the country. I share all of your optimism about the new connections we're forming and the restoration of some humanity because we were so ugly and divided before all of this as a nation. But I'm seeing, I, sadly, some, some sort of cracks in that with people opening up too soon. And, and that to me feels like the old divisions again. Like, don't we care about each other? What was all this for? If you're opening before 
we know it's safe and we've taken all the appropriate measures to, to be safe. Um, I, I know the college is doing all of, of those things now, thinking about the future and, to, and, and really their approach to day by day, week by week, analyzing what's appropriate and safe to do. So I don't know. I mean, I miss, I miss the before and I'm concerned about whether we'll ever have the before again or anything that resembles it or how long it'll take to get there. And Michael, I think for students like you, you're very lucky because you're a sophomore. And I think by the time you graduate, there, I hope and pray based on all of the things that we hear from the medical professionals and scientists, we may be back to something that you know feels normal again. Um, I worry for my seniors who are looking for jobs and who tell me that there's just nothing, nobody's interviewing, it's hard right now. And, and some of them have no choice but to try to find a job. They don't have, they don't have the time to wait it out. Um, but I'm hopeful, that, I'm hopeful that those of us who are, I'll, I'll end with this. Epiphanies are only available to those who seek them. This is my belief about epiphanies. I always think when there's a big event, we should all be changed and transformed by it. But the truth is that we're only transformed if we seek transformation. And and so I'm hopeful that those of us who are part of, a, of an intellectual community, of an academic community, will take this moment to seek an epiphany on how to be a better human, because um, on how to live a better life, on how to be healthier, on how to value our health, our environment, our friendships, our families, our community. I, I'm hopeful people will do that. I know that's what I'm working to do. Yeah, I love that. Megan? So I have a lot of fears, um, but I think that's one, I think about, I, like I watch the news every night, so like maybe I do it to myself, but like I almost like I'm just drawn to the bad news. Like I like to stay informed, so I'm constantly watching the news and trying to keep myself updated. So I do worry about, you know, the people that are working on the front lines, not, you know, even just, you know, hospital workers. I think about, you know, like janitors and like people that have to like collect, you know, like food and bring it to grocery stores and farmers that like don't have enough protective wear. Like I really think about like everyone else that has to work in order to keep like society running. And I saw this thing on Twitter and I'm, I'm probably not going to say it exactly right, but it was like, you know, when this is all over, remember that it wasn't the billionaires that, you know, that helped this country out and that saved us. It was the, the low wage workers. It was the working class. It was the poor that like kept us afloat through all of this. So, you know, I just really hope that they are protected. I just, I fear that they're being, you know, taken advantage of. They're not given like proper, you know, protective wear. So I think about that, but I am hopeful that like after this, like people will remember that and they'll remember that like not to take, not to take stuff. I'm, I was going to say another word, but not to take it from, you know, big businesses, you know, like think about like, do they have your best interest in mind? Like, I don't want to say like a revolution, but like maybe this will be like the beginning of, you know, some unrest, but like in a good way. Like I, I read that after the 1918, you know, pandemic, the, the flu. Um, there was a lot of social like unrest after that, but like it, you know, it entered a lot of different transformations in like American history. So I'm thinking, I, you know, this is going to have such a profound impact on people that there's no way we can forget all the atrocities that are happening. So maybe if, you know, after this is all done, we can use that in a good way to mobilize 
for something bad. That's like the activist and the political scientist in me. I'm always thinking about like things from like a political and social lens, but I really hope that that's like the direction that it takes. I think Deborah likes that, but that's something that she's probably been working on for four years, but I think about that a lot. No, but it is. The situation is kind of, you know, showing the cracks in our systems and, and the flaws that we have. And, and maybe it is time for some social reform. I mean, I know it's time for some social reform, but it's time for other people to understand that it's time for some social reform. So, um, but with that, I think, I think this has been, this has been great. And I want to thank all of you for giving your voices and your stories and sharing about your, your, uh, your situations. Cause it's not easy and we're all going through it. Um, in our own unique ways, but still kind of together because uh, there's not much we can all do. But we're going to hopefully continue this and get some more episodes going. But I think this was a great first episode. And I want to thank you all for for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Michael. All right. Awesome. Then uh, this has been Living Out Loud. Remember to stay inside and wash your hands. Got an idea for an episode or want to join our team? Email us at livingoutloud at merrimack.edu. Executive producers are Deborah Michaels and Tiffany Beganstern. Producers are Megan Demanchik and Michael Senoff. Audio engineering and editing by Michael Senoff. Living Out Loud is made possible with the generous support of a Provost Innovation Grant and assistance from the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning.